If you uh, have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Exodus 14:21. Exodus 14:21. The title of my message this morning is Turning the Tide. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand. Over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. And not one of them survived. Well, in these verses this morning, we see one of the very main points in the history of the Jewish nation. I mean, this is a critical, critical time, an important time that had lasting results even until this day. They became, as you know, the children of God. They were those that God put his hand on. They were the ones that God loved, that God nurtured, that God directed. And we see a wonderful illustration of that in our text today. We see how God took a group of oppressed, downtrodden slaves out of subjection to the always heavily armed Egyptians. God saved them from servanthood, from menial tasks, to being the mighty people of God that he wanted them to be. Usually those things which trouble us aren't so important. They're not life and death matters. Did you have something bad happen yesterday? Did you have something bad happen the day before or the day before or the day before that? It probably wasn't on the magnitude of what happened to the Jews as they were at the edge of the Red Sea. We we don't have issues like that, but maybe once in our entire lifetime. When we finally get that raise, uh, our bills have gone up so much, we don't even acknowledge it. We don't even know it. When we finally get that thing fixed in our car that's been rattling or misbehaving, now something's wrong in the house. When we finally get that man or woman to like us at our homeowners association, we don't like them anymore. You know, we have things happen, but they're not on the magnitude of what we're talking about uh, to the Jews at the Red Sea. When we finally get our secretary trained, she marries our biggest competitor around the corner, and she becomes his secretary. It just goes on and on. 
The Israelites beside the Red Sea had serious problems. I mean life and death. Problems that would overwhelm an entire nation. They were all like rats. They were caught at the edge of the sea in one place at one time. It seemed like the vision that they had had of freedom when they left Egypt, that hope, that desire to once finally be free, it seemed like that vision was was dimming right before them as they saw what was about to happen to the entire group. Well, it was life and death, no question about that. Sometimes we think our small problems are so monumental I was counseling a a man once about uh, marriage problems that he was having. I asked him, well, what is the biggest problem that you all are having? What's the the thing that uh, you say might break you up? And he said, well, I have to share a sink with my wife and daughter. I wanted to get up and walk out of the room. The Israelites knew There would be killings when the Egyptians got there. They knew there would be torture. They knew there would be beatings if the Egyptians caught them. In every direction, they looked around, and it seemed like there was no place to go, no place to hide. Yesterday, I got my computer out, and I started looking to find out the number of Jews that were caught there at the edge of the Red Sea. And there were a lot of different articles about it and a lot of different guesses about it. But it seems like sort of an average of all the numbers that were given, there were two and a half million Jews by the edge of the Red Sea. Now that is a huge, huge number. The old people said, well, we've walked as far as we can walk. We can't walk anymore. The families that had been separated Uh, During the course of the trip, the children were running around looking for their parents. The parents were running around looking for their children. Some had left behind things that they now wish they had. Some were sick when they left Egypt. They had this or that wrong with them. And, of course, this long trip, and now without uh, all the food and water that they needed, now they're dying. Things have just gone from grim to worse. There was one problem, however, that made all of their other problems very minor in comparison. In the far distance, they could see a cloud of dust, a cloud of sand uh, that was in the sky. They knew what that meant. They knew that the chariots of Egypt were coming for them. They knew that the legions of Pharaoh's army were coming for them. The army they knew that was going to kill most of them and perhaps all of them for not doing what the Egyptians wanted them to do. The army was behind them. The sea was in front of them. They were caught, as I mentioned, like rats in a box. They didn't have anywhere to go. The Israelites realized that things were out of their hands as they stood there by the Red Sea. Wholesale extermination of the enemy has always been the vindictive dream of persecuted people. You know, 
you can understand that. If you're being persecuted by somebody, by some group, by some nation, from the time you're born up until the current time, you're obviously wanting that to end. And you're wanting them to be punished. You're wanting them to suffer. And not just a continuation of you having to suffer. But my, how is that going to happen? How could that possibly take place? They had no chariots. They had no weapons. They had no military training whatsoever. They had no idea of how to secure the victory with the forces of Egypt coming. I believe that in every individual's life, we at one time or another stand at that proverbial uh, Red Sea. We have kind of a life and death moment. Do you remember when that's been in your life? I've been in some bad car wrecks. I was in a terrible wreck uh, when I was in college. I was preaching a revival in San Angelo, Texas. And we ran, I was sitting in the back seat, and the gal that was driving ran into a bridge abutment. It didn't move an inch. We were going about 40 or 50. I went through the front seat, through the windshield, came back through. I looked at the girl that had been sitting in the right front, and her face and head were flat on one side. And then I saw myself in the rearview mirror, and I thought, well, we're both dead. Uh, blood was coming out everywhere. It was horrible. It was awful. You know, we've all had some moment in our life that was just beyond belief that we didn't think perhaps that we were going to survive. I know that all of you folks that are here today that are military, you probably have had a whole lot of those kind of experiences. Well, there were problems on every hand. Solutions were not visible. How do you handle a situation like that? What is it that makes some people victors over life? And some people always seem to be the vanquished. Why are some the winners and some the losers? Could it be that what makes one a winner is not that they beat the other person, but rather that they find fulfillment. The great thing about this day in the history of the Jewish people, the great thing that happened at the edge of the Red Sea, is not that the foe was vanquished, but rather that a nation was formed. Priorities were set up. Goals were established. And people found fulfillment. That was the first time that that had ever happened to these gang of people that became a nation during these days. What do you do when you stand beside your Red Sea? What if it's tomorrow or next week or next year? What do you do when you're standing there? Do you cry? Do you fall apart? Do you fail to face the problems? Some of the Israelites, of course, chose different situations. Some of them just stood around and griped at the situation. Have you ever been caught in traffic and it just, it just never moves? And, you know, after a period of time, you, you see some people that are really getting bent out of shape. Uh, I was behind a guy and the railroad uh, came uh, 
before us and then the train started and everybody had to stop of course and this guy was sitting there and it seemed like the train went on forever and he started kind of pounding the seat next to him and he pounded it and then finally he opened the door and got out and started pounding the car and I thought well he's going to have a nervous breakdown right here you know I don't know what's going to happen well they were griping Israelites were griping they were saying to each other you know, it would have been better if we had just died in Egypt. Instead of walking all this way, come out here to the edge of the Red Sea and then be slaughtered here. Would have been better if we'd have just stayed there. Some of them said, what a mess we're in. There's no way out of this. This is a terrible situation. Some of them said, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to us. Others said, well, my feet hurt. And the arthritis is, is uh, giving me a hard time. Others said, that crazy Moses, he led us out here. It's his fault. You know, you always want to lay fault. It's his fault. That's why all these terrible things have happened. Moses, it's his fault. Some of them thought, well, maybe we can run and hide. And they looked to the north. They were hoping that maybe there was a forest over there they could hide in. They didn't see one. Maybe there were some old buildings, deserted homes, something that they could hide some of the people. Well, they didn't see that. They didn't see any deep gullies. They didn't see any huge caves that people could go in. They looked to the south. There didn't seem to be any place to go that way. And then they remembered the chariots. Even if we could begin to walk in that direction, we would never get there. Because those chariots are ten times faster than we are. They would catch us. They would get us before we could find shelter. Some of them just tried to kind of go blank, the ostrich solution. Uh, they more or less uh, uh, put their head in the sand. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to know about it. They just wanted to be left alone. Some of the men were cowards. They couldn't stand up and face the enemy, fight the enemy. Some of them were neurotics, some were psychotics, and they just started doing crazy things, trying mentally to hide. The other alternative was to respond like Moses did. Moses looked at the situation and realized that only God could help. Moses evaluated what they had, what they didn't have, and then he, he thought, you know, God's got to spare us. There's not going to be any way out of this. Moses prayed. The scripture says he prayed. That was the first thing. He prayed. Tomorrow, next week, next year, if you get into a real bad situation, rather than standing up and cussing, the first thing that you ought to do is start praying. Just praying, asking God, please help me in this situation. The scripture says that he prayed and he trusted God. And guess what happened? The waters began to separate. Now think what it would take for this to happen. The wind would have to come down from above and then separate so that the waters would be divided the wind would be blowing in both directions at the same time. 
It had to be a very, very unusual situation. It was, no question about that. And then Moses took the first step on faith. Where there had been a great sea, there was now dry land. The waters blew, were blown away by that very, very odd wind uh, that took care of the situation. Now, I don't know how high the water was on either side, and, and nobody else knows either. But I do know that those chariots followed the Israelites into that land where the Red Sea had been. I do know that the water was high enough to drown every one of them. You remember the scripture said, not one of them survived. Do you remember Cecil B. DeMille, the guy that uh, made those great movies? Uh, I guess it was in the 40s or maybe the early 50s. I remember as a little kid going to see this story depicted on the screen. And Cecil B. DeMille had those waves about 30 feet high on both sides. And the big storm was going on and the wind was blowing and the water was dividing and Moses was taking a step on faith. And I was just a little kid and I thought this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. You know, I just, I just couldn't believe it. It was just... I mean, it was so powerful, it was so graphic, it was so unbelievable. Well, guess who was, who was having a, a real time of not being able to believe it? The Israelites. They were trying to walk between two mountains of water. I mean, just think of that. Think of what they were thinking. But they were following Moses. He had been the bad guy, but now, all of a sudden, he takes a step on faith, and he's leading them out of there. He's the good guy. Uh, times have changed. Well, the tide turned. That's the title of my message today, the tide turned. You know, in our lives, sometimes we can have kind of a bad season. And that season can last for a month or a year or a decade. We can have a bad season. But then you know what happens? The season changes and the tide turns. And the way we help the tide to turn in our lives is we ask God, we pray to God to help us and to lead us out of the horrible situation that we're in. The tide turned, the water came back, and the Egyptians all drowned. Now, I don't have a problem believing that. You know, if Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, if Jesus can stand on the bow of a ship and raise a defiant hand and say, peace, be still, and then all of a sudden, just like that, the storm goes away, the water becomes like a, a plate of glass, the wind stops blowing. You know, if Jesus can do those two things, he can take care of the Red Sea. Uh, he can make sure that it's going the right way. How do you respond? How do you respond when the troubles are like mountains? And they're all around you. Do you just stand at life and gripe? Is that the solution? Does that, does that help? It never has helped. We keep doing it, don't we? It never has helped, but we keep doing it. We can run and hide. Does that help? It might help for a few minutes, but it doesn't happen in the long run. Or we can respond like Moses did. 
we can face the situation, we can place our faith in God, and then we can take a step on faith. There were a lot of people standing there by the Red Sea. I'm sure they couldn't all even see Moses, but they saw what was happening. They saw that folks were filing out toward the water, and they wondered, well, are they dying? What's, what's, we can't see. What's happening up there? And finally, when enough were out of their way, they could see. They saw that Moses was leading them in a line right through the middle of the Red Sea. Probably some of them were just like all of us. There were some dominant personalities in the crowd, I'm sure. There were some very weak people. There were some overprotective people. There were some carefree people. There were some that were 100% self-centered. Some were sensible, some were irrational. Some were very loving, kind, generous people. And some were totally vindictive. And then there were the great masses between those extremes. There were the common, ordinary people, like most of us here this morning. Each one responded to the situation in his own personal way. We stand in a world that is very uncertain today. I watch a lot of the news on TV. Uh, I watch Brett Bear. I don't know if you ever see Brett Bear's show, but I watch that every night. I want to know what's going on in the world. And sometimes, frankly, you do get discouraged because you hear about this group in Iran that is planning on coming over and blowing us up. And then you hear about this group in Libya that is planning and getting their ducks in an order to come over here and blow us up. And then there's that group in Iraq and that group in Iran, that group here, that group there, the group in Saudi Arabia. And they're planning to come and kill the great Satan. That's us, in case you don't know. The great Satan. That's America. That's what they say about us over and over again. We're living in a world today that's very uncertain. Have you been following uh, the elections? It's very interesting to me. The two top candidates, Trump and Hillary, they both have unbelievable numbers of, of unfavorable. You know, the percentage on both of them is very, very high. Well, what's going to happen when it comes down to the two that face each other and and everything else is over. Are, are people going to riot? Are people going to start shooting each other? Uh, what's going to happen? I mean, the political system in America has never been through what we are facing today. It's unbelievable. We have more domestic problems, issues in America today than we have ever had before. You know what they're doing in prisons all across America? If you weren't involved in some kind of violent crime, they're just letting you go. They're just saying, well, the prison's full. All of you, all of you that did this, you're free. And so thousands leave. That's happening all over our country today because we're having so many serious crimes, you know, where it's murder or assault or some horrible thing. That's all the room we have in the prisons to take care of of the people that are there. We face increased responsibilities. There's so many rules in our world today that we we can't even learn them all, let alone follow them all. 
as we look at the land that is filled with rebellion against a loving and gracious God, you know there are groups of people in every state across America are doing everything that they can do to take the name of God, the name of Jesus, the name of the Holy Spirit out of every common uh, discourse in our land. Take out all the Ten Commandments stuff. Take out all the prayers at football games, in the schools. Uh, you know, even in uh, uh, buildings that are unoccupied. We don't want anybody meeting in there and, and having any kind of Bible studies. Nothing on public land. We can't do that. We're living in a day where we are called upon by God to respond to Him in faith. And that's the only solution for what we're facing today. Where are you in life's journey? Are you still in Egypt with the philosophy, well, we've just got to make the best out of a bad situation? That's not where God wants you. He doesn't want you to go home and say, well, things are terrible, but there's nothing I can do about it. There is something that you can do about it. There is something. You can do what Moses did. You can pray, and then you can take a step on faith. If you're at the edge of life, uh, are, are, you, are you just griping? That isn't going to solve it. That isn't what God wants you to do. Or are you watching to see if Moses makes it? And then you might follow. You know, all over America today, there is coming greater and greater pressure upon our spiritual leaders. They are trying as best they can to be able to see the text of what preachers and evangelists uh, are saying before they say it. So if they don't like it, they can deem it hate speech and take it out of the sermon that you were going to preach. This is going on in America today. There are places in America today where Sharia law reigns. Did you know that? In America today, this is happening. Well, what are we going to do? Are we trusting God? Are we moving when he leads? Are we stepping out of faith? On faith, are we, are we following with no hesitation his leadership in our life? You say, well, preacher, I have never had one of those Red Sea moments that you're talking about. Well, you might. You might have one today as you drive home. You might have one where one minute you're just doing real well. And the next minute you've crashed into another car or a truck. Make it a car if you have a choice. And you feel like your back's broken. You feel like your shoulder's broken. You feel like your, your face is just covered with blood. Or one minute all is well. You've just gone in for your regular checkup. And the doctor comes out. And he doesn't have on his happy face. And he sits down with you, and he gives you a horrible report. A horrible report. And the first thing that goes through your mind, well, I have a vacation plan. You have to cancel that. Well, I have a plan where I want to see my grandchildren grow up and, and get married. I want to be at their wedding. And I want to see maybe even when they have children. 
And the report that you've got, just gotten, it, it, it makes you believe you're not going to be there. Everything changes in a short, short period of time. Or you get up in the morning and you notice uh, on the wall in the living room there's a big crack in the wall. You think, what in the world has happened? And then as the day goes on, you find out that the people that live two houses down from you, the ground opened up and swallowed their home in a sinkhole. That happened to a close friend of mine. You know, we, we have all these things that are going around all around us. The car wrecks, the bad reports, this, that, the other. Life is very abrupt. It doesn't uh, come on schedule. It comes in a very abrupt way. And you know what we've got to remember when it comes? Or when the lesser issues beset us? We've got to realize that Jesus always cares. He always cares. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Jesus always cares. And we also need to remember that Jesus is always there. He's not off somewhere else. He's there. He's with you. You're not alone. Some people say to me, I feel so alone. You're never alone. You are never, ever alone. The Lord Jesus is with you. Well, what do we do? We realize that Jesus cares, that Jesus is there. And so we follow the example of Moses. We take a step on faith. Tomorrow, we take another step on faith. AA has a great saying, one day at a time. You know, that's what we're given, one day at a time. And in that day, if we will pray and take a step in faith, Toward the Lord Jesus, the outcome will be wonderful. I wonder if today is the day when you ought to take a step on faith. When you ought to slip to the aisle and slip to the front and say yes to our risen Savior. Is this the day when you begin your pilgrimage towards spiritual maturity? Is this the day, as a mature Christian, you're here and you know you need a, a local church home, that you would slip out and come and join the family of God and become actively involved in the ministry of this church. If the Lord is leading you today, I pray that you would take a step on faith today. I'll be standing down here at the front waiting on you to come. Let's stand together.